Time for... Here we go, here we go, here we go. Kickoff. With Boomer Esiason and Mike Valenti. Presented nationally by Casamigos Tequila. Casamigos, brought to you by those who drink it. And Lowe's, Lowe's Knows Home Improvement. Welcome in one and all. Week three in the National Football League. Mike Valenti here, Ring of Honor inductee, Mr. Boomer Esiason there. In, in a jersey, no less. This is special. Mike, thank you for bringing up the Ring of Honor. Yeah, Monday night I'll be going in along with Chad Ochocinco uh, Johnson and uh, one of the great wide receivers, actually the leading wide receiver in Cincinnati Bengal history. And quite frankly, I'm wearing a Bart Starr throwback jersey today because it's a feel-good football Friday when we do this show. And I wanted to make sure that you were in the right uh, frame of mind because I know you covering the Lions and you seeing this jersey is going to bring out the best in you today. Oh, absolutely. Please. I mean, listen. I need all the good vibes I can get with the state of New York football, but we'll, we'll talk about that momentarily. Scones, let's hit the rundown. The NFL Rundown. All right, Boomer, let, let's be brief about this. I want to give you some nuanced commentary regarding Giants-Niners Thursday night football. You ready? Yeah. The Giants stink. I, I mean, look, the Niners are good, but what, what, can, you, can you help me? I mean, how can this be a yearly thing? The Giants offensive line again is awful, with or without Andrew Thomas. What what are we doing here exactly? All right, so we knew that they were going to have a tough opening uh, three weeks, uh, and they had to win the game in Arizona, which they did for sure, and J- Daniel Jones showed up and played a great second half. You know, against the 49ers, here's the problem with the Giants. You can talk about offensive line. You can talk about the lack of scoring. You can talk about all of that stuff. At the end of the day, their defense is getting pushed around. Their defense can't yes. get off the field. The defense hasn't con- – uh, forced a turnover this year, and I think they have maybe one and a half or one sack. So in three games, those defensive statistics and any metric you want to go by is just awful, and you're not going to win in the NFL if the, if your defense is going to play that way. So Let me give you something, and this is I'm glad you brought this up because one thing I'm failing to understand is how you have the investment in Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence in the middle, and you're getting gashed. And the other angle, and you can tell me I'm crazy – uh, I'm worried about Kayvon Thibodeau because I, I, I'm sorry, most snaps, you don't even know he's on the field. Where are we at with him? Yeah, all Giant fans uh, in New York feel the same way about Kayvon Thibodeau as you do. They also feel the same way about Evan Neal. Uh, neither one of these players are lived Oof. up to their lofty draft status and the hopes and dreams. Now, the one thing I will say about Kayvon Thibodeau, you know, he's dropping back in, in coverage every now and again, and at six foot five, 268, 270 pounds, you know, I don't want him dropping back in, in coverage. I want him rushing. And, you know, people see what Micah Parsons and Nick Bosa and T.J. Watt are and Miles Garrett are. Uh, unfortunately, that's not who Kayvon Thibodeau is. He's not that way uh, mentality-wise, and he's certainly not the athlete that those other four pass rushers are. So uh, he's very close to, you know, being a bust. I mean, there's no other way to, to put it. If you told me he was a seventh-round draft choice, I, I don't think we would even discuss him. But the fact that he was such a high draft choice and because there are so many great pass rushers that the Giants have seen the last two uh, two weeks, uh, now all of a sudden it's like, you know, where is our guy? And they don't have yeah. a pass rush whatsoever, Mike. So, you know, that to me is their biggest problem. Uh, let's go to Chicago because that was a wild week for the Bears. Now, look, originally when I put the sheet together and we're going to have our conversation every week, I go, all right, well, we need to talk about Justin Fields going to the podium and in my world playing the blame game. Oh, but wait, there's more. Defensive coordinator Alan Williams resigns, 
a lot around that. We'll leave that alone. But just the state of the Bears. I mean, Boomer, this is a new regime. This looks like it's about to be another rebuild of the rebuild. Yeah, I, um, first of all, I just want to give uh, Justin Fields a little bit of credit. You know, he said what he said about the coaching, and then he came back later on and clarified his statements and basically took a little bit of ownership of saying the wrong thing. So I do want to give him the credit for that. But he's just not processing at all. And you watch the games, and if you look at the tapes, you're going to see guys running wide open, and for some reason he can't find them. So that tells me he's looking at the pass rush or things are, are, are in front of his face and he's not comfortable about letting the ball go. I mean, there's a million things that go on at the quarterback uh, position that are out of his control, but the things that are in his control is to be able to get from one receiver to the next receiver and read a defense. And quite frankly, whether it be he or Zach Wilson, who were drafted in the same draft, uh, you know, they have not figured it out. Now, Mac Jones was drafted in that draft, and I think Bill O'Brien has really helped him the first two weeks. But they have a problem on their hands up in Chicago. And I do know for a fact that Ryan Poles right now, the GM of the, the Bears, while dealing with the defensive coordinator situation and everything else, he's also scouting every single college quarterback that will be potentially uh, in the draft next year because I don't necessarily know that they have the total confidence in Justin Fields right now. So let's say there's a change of scenery. Can he be fixed or do you think he's a lost cause? Uh, I, I you know, can he be a Geno Smith, meaning, you know, go around the league, catch catch on a couple places, then all of a sudden later on in uh, his career, figure it out if he's in the right spot. I think that's probably more likely to happen. Uh, he can throw the hell out of the ball, and he's an, an, an incredible athlete. The one thing I did not like about what he did say uh, this week was that I just need to be more myself on the field. I need to play just football. And I'm like, you know, that's great, but you know when you're the quarterback, you got to understand everything. You got to be able to communicate to your players. You got to be able to read defenses. You got to be able to communicate communicate to your coaches during the game. You can't just go out there and think that you're going to run around and make plays because that's who you are as an athlete. That's not how it works. Bengals zero and two through what was it now? Six and a half quarters of the season. Joe Cool, Joe Burrow, longest completion was twelve yards. What would obviously besides questioning his health, but what is the biggest problem with the Bengals who find themselves at 0 2 again? You know, I was a little bit disappointed in their defense uh, this time around this past week. Uh, their offense finally got going in the second half. You know, Baltimore came into this game with four offensive starters missing, including their starting center and left tackle, and they still allowed Lamar Jackson to go out there and beat them. Um, I would just say that I thought the second half was much better from a Bengal offensive perspective because at least T. Higgins got involved and they got into the no-huddle offense, and it looked like they finally got into some rhythm. And I'm hoping Monday night when I'm out there that Joe Burrow is going to be able to play in this game against the Rams. If he is, I think they'll have a big night because I feel like they finally turned the corner in the second half of that game against Baltimore. But I have to give Baltimore a lot of credit, specifically John Harbaugh, who basically gives the Bengals fits, and, you know, Lamar Jackson looked like the MVP Lamar Jackson, but I still wish he would not run nearly as much as he does. So we all know Bengals turned the trick at 0-2 and made the playoffs last year. Of the nine 0-2 teams, and I know some of them, it's a, it's a ridiculous notion, but Chargers, Bengals, Broncos, Pats, Vikes, mm-hmm. who makes it? If you got to pick one, who, who re- recovers a little bit here from the 0-2 start? I'm going to stick with the Bengals. I still think okay. that they have a good team, and I'm not trying to be a homer here for any reason other than they have a top-flight quarterback. I know he's dealing with his calf injury now. If he doesn't play, 
on uh, you know on, on Monday night. They're they're going to have uh, they're, they're, they're going to they're going to have their hands full. Uh, the one thing I will say is Matthew Stafford's played well the first two weeks, and uh, I they just still don't have Cooper Rush back on the field on the field. But I just think that uh, I mean Cooper Cup, excuse me. I just think that the Bengals are ready to take off offensively, and and that should help their defense as well. I'm going to tell you something. McVay looks like he's having a ton of fun. And I, I know nobody expected a lot from the Rams, but Stafford looks good. Puka Nakua has been a revelation. You know, I, two, we, we had a 2-2 Atwell sighting last week. <laughs> I, I tell you, he's getting the most out of what he's got. And, and you know, he also traded Cam, And he also traded Cam Akers this week. Uh, probably a disgruntled player. Get him out of the locker room now and things yep. get cleaned up a little bit. Uh, I would say, yeah, he's having a lot of fun. By the way, they are one of the youngest teams in the NFL. They're one of the faster teams in the NFL. And you just never know when youth is going to implode. I'll be interesting to see them up close and personal come Monday night. All right, so I got a fun one for you here. It's quarterback A, quarterback B. I'm going to give you stat lines. You got to tell me who they are. And it's going to uplift you on a Good Vibes Friday. Really? Okay, okay yeah, Good All Vibes right, here we Friday. Go. I like it. Quarterback <clears throat> one has 490 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, a 104.4 rating. Quarterback two, 389, two touchdowns, three turnovers, and a 69 rating. All right, so you what do you want me to guess? Which, which so here's, a, here's, 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 I'm going to tell you who quarterback one is. You got to tell me who quarterback B, quarterback two is. Ready? Okay, yeah. Quarterback one is Baker Mayfield. Quarterback two is the guy who replaced Baker. Ah, uh, Deshaun Watson. There you go. Yeah. I need to un- I need you to help me understand this. Now, the off-field stuff, okay. And if that's the reason, fine. But the last time we had seen Deshaun Watson, Boomer, he was graceful. He was able to maneuver not only inside the pocket, but get to the edges through a beautiful deep ball process. Boomer, the guy I'm watching now, lumbering around, void of athleticism. He looks spaced out of his mind. I think he completed more balls to the equipment managers on the <laughs> sidelines than receivers. Boomer, what what am I watching? You're watching Watson? you're watching inaccuracy and you're also watching a quarterback that's looking at the pass rush. I don't know if you caught him towards the end of the game against uh Pittsburgh when the game's on the line, you know, he's dropping back and he's got his helmet down. I could always tell when a guy is looking at the pass rush. You just look at their face mask. You remember watching Drew Brees all those years? In, yeah. in New Orleans, and you'd see the face mask, and it looked like he's looking under the face mask. And yeah. that, that tells you that he's not paying attention to the pass rush. He's trying to decipher what's going on down the field. Uh, in this game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, I saw Deshaun, actually, his face mask was down, which tells me he's looking at the pass rush, and he's worried about where he's going to run with it, and he doesn't have that athleticism that he once had, what, about three or four years ago when he was impossible yeah. to play against when he was in Houston. So, you know, this is the Browns. They gave him $230 million guarantee. They basically bribed him to go to Phil- uh, to Cleveland because he didn't want to go there in the first place. He wanted to go either to New Orleans or Atlanta. And they gave him the contract. And this is what you get when a guy is out of football for basically a year and a half. And that's what it looks like. All right, let's go to Denver. Second week in a row, Russell Wilson turned into a pumpkin in the second half. Obviously, the defense has problems too. Boomer. Is Sean Payton going to get this right, or is this just going to be upgraded Hackett this year? Absolutely brutal game this week coming against the Miami Dolphins, the fastest team in the NFL. Good luck with that one this week. Um, (laughs) uh, The other thing that came out of this whole game this past week is the amount of timeouts they had to use, 
Uh, mm-hmm. the, the problems getting in and out of the huddle with the substitutions and calling the plays and supposedly Sean Payton was going to cut the verbiage down You know, when it comes to play calling and Russell was struggling with all of that. And that's what happens when an older quarterback gets into a new system and he's got to learn the system. You know, Drew Brees was in that system for about 15 years, I felt like. And now all of a sudden Russell's in it for two weeks. The thing I will say, the first half last week and the week before, he was really good. He made plays. And then all of a sudden the team dies. And I don't know I don't know why that is, and I don't know why uh, their defense can't seem to get any turnovers either. The other thing, too, is that Montez Sweat had one of the more monster games that I think I've ever seen a defensive lineman had. He had, I think, one and a half sacks, but he had 14 pressures in one game. It's amazing. So, so that offensive line is struggling. Now, the offensive line could be struggling for one or two reasons. One, it could be because maybe they're not very good. That's fine. I can I could accept that as a, uh, you know, a, 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 I guess an excuse or at least an explanation. Number two would be that their quarterback isn't where they think he's going to be because he's running out of the pocket way too fast. And Russell likes to play that loose game. He likes to play the extended play type of game. Uh, and sometimes that can drive a coach crazy. And after having Drew Brees for all those years who would sit in that pocket and now have to transition to this quarterback that's running all over the place, I would think that Sean Payton's patience with his quarterback is wearing pretty thin. I got to tell you something, though, on the Miami side. Boomer, they look to have the counterpunch they didn't have last year. And what I mean is McDaniels, as smart as they get, a brilliant off- a brilliant offensive mind. But, like, they're willing to run it, and they can run it. And I'll tell you what, even though Teron Armstead's been banged up, the O-line looks great, their offensive scheme, the concepts, the weapons, Boomer, maybe I'm just in the moment. I feel like Miami might be the team right in front of our face that could be the threat to the Chiefs in the AFC. Well, we're going into week three, and it's easy to overreact to everything, but I don't want to overreact to the Dolphins. Uh, I want to be right there with you, which would not be an overreaction because what we're seeing – is we're seeing a fast team. We're seeing the fastest team, you know, I believe, in the NFL. And nobody can cover these guys down the field. And the other thing that we're seeing is we're seeing Tua from last year prior to his injury, and then after when he came back, he was just as good. We're seeing a guy that is anticipating throws. He's incredibly accurate, and his ball's incredibly uh, catchable. So if Zach Wilson and Justin Fields could watch some Tua film – and watch how he is anticipating these throws and where he's throwing it and how he's throwing it, and he's not panicking in the pocket, uh, that's the way the position's supposed to be played. And you're right about Mike McDaniels. I, what I loved about this game between them and the, the Patriots was the fact of how these plays were drawn up, how they were called. The play design was fantastic, and the play calls were even better. And both Bill O'Brien and Mike McDaniels are doing a hell of a job in the passing game for these teams. The difference between them, obviously, was the speed of the Dolphins versus the speed of the Patriots. Yeah, and when you can counterpunch Belichick, look, they wanted to put the three safeties up high, not get beat over the top. A lot of coaches get impatient. They didn't. We're going to hit you eight yards at a time, 12 yards at a time, six yards at a time. And they were willing to stick with it the whole game. And he just out, they outflanked the Patriots. Patriots were always in a trail position. It's, it is, it's really fun to watch. Because, it is fun to watch. You know, I always like to uh, compare players just to give fans out there an understanding of how I would see something. So with the accuracy and with the ease that he is throwing the ball and the catchability of the football, there's a player that played when I played that had all of those attributes, and that was Joe Montana. Joe Montana was accurate. 
He threw a catchable ball, and he was able to anticipate because his arm wasn't the strongest. You know, it wasn't Dan Marino's arm. Or it wasn't John Elway's arm. And, you know, Tua doesn't have Justin Herbert's arm or Patrick Mahomes' arm. But what he does have is he has an understanding of his offense. He knows where to throw it. He throws a very catchable ball, and he's extremely accurate. So that's the comparison of the way that Tua has played the last two years. All right. Hold that thought. Picks coming up next. Got to take a moment to tell you about Casamigos tequilas, the Reposado, the Añejo, the Blanco, and the Cristalino, or the Mezcal. It's Casamigos tequila brought to you by those who drink it. And Casamigos tequila reminds you to please celebrate responsibly. 